You're listening to DraftKings Network. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Crazy week last week with me and producer Jack Connell running around. We didn't get to do this, so we get a Monday edition of the Business of Sports. Now that he's back from the Super Bowl, producer Jack Connell, musical producer Sam Brandt's got a new song out. Go to Boy Blue Tunes, hit song with M-A-E-M-E-I, and hope you guys are doing well. We're sponsored, as always, by DraftKings. I got a lot of post-Super Bowl thoughts. I want to get to it all. This is a special edition of the Business of Sports, a post-Super Bowl Brad's Rats, and we'll do a couple other things beyond the NFL as well. But let's start with the Super Bowl. Following up from my last podcast, it's still, I have to shake my head, that we just played a Super Bowl in Las Vegas. Because as you know, the NFL was anti-sports gambling, anti-gambling forever forever. Sports gambling was, was, and even up to a few years ago, and even now for players, still completely taboo. But that all changed with a lot of different things. The Supreme Court case we talked about, the NFL embracing fantasy sports, the NFL embracing Vegas after the NHL and WNBA did. And now we look back a day later, we just had Super Bowl week in Las Vegas. So listen, when the NFL placed the Raiders in Las Vegas, I think they gave up any moral high ground. You know, now we're just at a point where they've embraced it. It's in the NFL's embedded consciousness right now. Sports betting is all over the NFL. You can't watch a game without being bombarded by not only ads, but depending on the network, their own sports betting touts. And I understand this podcast is sponsored by DraftKings. It's everywhere. You can't escape it. The dichotomy is that players can't do anything. So players, of course, have to listen to the NFL and hear the following. Do as I say, not as I do. The NFL in bed with DraftKings, with FanDuel, with other sports companies, Caesars, official casino of the NFL. And then, of course, last week we had this delicate dance where players could do appearances at casinos. They could walk through casinos. They had to walk through casinos to get anywhere, but they couldn't promote the casino. This delicate, awkward dance, something like Devontae Adams all year, promoting MGM, but not promoting MGM sports. This is the dance everyone had to do. And of course, the Chiefs and the 49ers couldn't go near a casino until the game ended last night. And of course, they could go anywhere after that. Good luck with the NFL trying to enforce that position this past week with 700 players in Vegas doing appearances, doing Radio Row, doing their product endorsements. Yeah, they're going to be at casinos and they're going to bump into the sports book now and then as well. So... The delicate dance continued. And listen, we're not done with a Super Bowl 
being embedded with sports betting. Guess what? Next year, no, it's not in Las Vegas. It's in New Orleans. But guess where it's being played? Guess where it's going to be the focus of the sporting world a year from now? Caesars Superdome. So again, for people like, yeah, Vegas, a one-off. Well, first of all, they're going back to Vegas in the next 10 years. We know that. And then, of course, Caesars Superdome has the Super Bowl next year. So again, the sports betting impact. And I think what's really sort of tells us where we are with sports betting is I'm probably one of the few national voices that even bring this brings this up, right? Everyone else is like, yeah, of course, sports betting. It's like everywhere. Like, what are we worried about? Well, we're not worried about anything, but it's just a note that this is a league that, as I've talked about, wouldn't let me do a fantasy football draft with the Packers, our coaches and executives, not a coaches, executives and scouts, where there was no money and we couldn't draft Packers. The league didn't want to hear about it. The league wasn't into it. They didn't say, don't do it. They just said, we don't want to know. And then here we are 15 years later, and it's everywhere around us. And again, do as I say, don't do as I do. As Calvin Ridley will tell you, as Jameson Williams will tell you, yeah, and players that got cut because they weren't good enough to survive a gambling suspension. So that's where we are. Okay, let's get to the week. Two things I want to point out about the week. When I'm at the Super Bowl, I wasn't this year, I make sure to go to two press conferences. One, of course, is Roger Goodell. And he has mastered this, the art of answering questions without saying anything. The art of answering questions without answering questions. And he's been doing this a long time, since 2006, so he knows how to do it. Basically, he gets questions and he goes on the script. And Summer Planet's questions and the tough questions, he doesn't really answer. He just says something that is beneficial to the NFL. He is robotic. He is unrevealing. He is bland. He is corporate. And you know what? I got, I've said this many times. I've gotten to know Roger Goodell when I was with the Packers. There's a more human side to Roger Goodell, but he doesn't show that. And the question always is, why doesn't he show that? And I completely think the answer is because his bosses, the owners, do not want him to show that. They do not want Roger Goodell showing that side of himself. That's not good for business. They want this strong-jawed, iron-fisted commissioner that's corporate and doesn't reveal a lot. That's what they want. That's what he is. That's why he's paid whatever the number is, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 million dollars a year. He is the CEO of a $25 billion business. He does what he's told. The only news coming out of that press conference, well, we're talking about a Brazil game for the Eagles hosting on Friday night of the opening weekend. That's fine. We knew that the league was going to Brazil. It makes sense for the Eagles, popular team. And they're going to competitively, it works because there's no game the week before that. They can go down there early. They can do what they need to do. Um, the other news, of course, is the streaming. This is on the heels of the streaming announcement last week where Fox and TNT and ESPN are joining forces, right? Cats and dogs coming together on a streaming app. And that streaming app will gather content from, I believe, 15 leagues, for all four major sports leagues. This is, you know, this was not given, a, it brings up more questions than answers because what is going to happen here? Are they really going to take 
content away from bigger networks? Well, it doesn't seem that would happen. But maybe it's lesser games of the NBA, lesser games of the NHL. Maybe some, you know, Tennessee-Jacksonville game of the NFL that goes on this streaming service. But we'll see. And what's interesting is, of course, a side note on the streaming service, two of the three NBA partners are on that, TNT and ESPN, not Fox, obviously, but hey, their rights are up. So we're going to look at some part of the NBA rights being with this streaming app. Okay, back to Goodell. Asked about the Peacock game last year during the playoffs, and I guess people want to know, would this ever lead to a Super Bowl that was streaming? He said, not on my watch. So we're not going to have that, certainly in his time, which is four years left, at least. I don't see that happening. But I do see more than a wild card game. Maybe it's a divisional round game. Now we have news that Amazon is going to have a playoff game. It didn't say what round. So people are used to Amazon. It doesn't seem too out of the box. But this is the slow creep of streaming taking over. Yes, it's not going to happen with a Super Bowl, maybe even in our lifetime. But it will happen one day. One day it will. That day may be far off, but we're already into the playoff game. You know, it was fine when Amazon's doing Thursday Night Football, but we all took note when Peacock did a streaming game in the playoffs for $110 million, and now Amazon is doing it, I assume, during the wild card weekend, but that's not confirmed. Could be divisional round weekend. And once you creep in there a few years later, championship game. Well, that'll take a while. And since the Super Bowl will take a long time. But that was interesting to note. Obviously, Goodell could make an easy answer there. We're not going to the Super Bowl in the next four years on streaming. And if he's extended another four years after that, I'm not doing that. Because first, you got to get to the divisional round and maybe two divisional round games in one day. And we're not going to get to the championship game for a while in terms of streaming. So we'll see. Okay, that's the old boss. Now meet the new boss. NFLPA holds a presser every year, and we have a new leader. And I was very interested in seeing what's this guy like. His name is Lloyd Howell. He was a complete surprise winner. And again, full disclosure, I've been considered for that job before. I chose not to pursue it. But Lloyd Howell comes from Booz Allington, a consultant in the defense contracting industry. This is the guy they chose. And he presents a stark contrast from the past two NFLPA leaders, you had the regal presence of former offensive lineman Gene Upshaw all those years. And then you had the combative lawyer in Demory Smith since, I don't know, 2008 or nine. Now he's moved on and you have this sort of corporate, again, more like Adele, non-revealing, kind of uh, non-exciting, a little bit robotic, Lloyd Howell. He didn't really make a lot of news, didn't talk about much. He did talk about the fields issue. And any time the NFL says, well, some players prefer turf over grass, players always clap back against that. And he represented that sentiment, saying he took a poll, 92% of players prefer grass fields. Uh, some players prefer turf, but that's only kickers, I think he said. And there's a few players that don't care. But 92% was the big news coming out of that, prefer the grass fields, which is, again clapping back against the NFL narrative that they don't care, it's not a big deal. Yeah, of course they do care. Everyone wants grass. The other thing that came out in the Lloyd Howe press conference is he better get his name straight. Not a good look. 
because he was talking about discipline. He was talking about the player who was subject of discipline last year, also the owner of the best contract for players in the NFL. And he referred to him as Deshaun Watkins. That's right. Your new NFL Players Association executive director in his opening press conference as the leader at the Super Bowl referred to Deshaun Watson as Deshaun Watkins. Oof. Not good. Not good. Okay. Before I get back to some NFL stuff, I just want to mention because of the grass field issue. The World Cup FIFA announces the winner of the sweepstakes to hold the final event of the 2026 World Cup. Of course, Jerry Jones and AT&T Stadium was very involved. SoFi Stadium in LA, very involved. Everyone was hoping for it. It goes to MetLife Stadium in New York. They get the final, but not to be worried about Dallas and AT&T and Jerry Jones. They have the most games, nine games. There's many games. The opening game is at SoFi in LA, so everybody gets their little piece of the pie. The interesting thing about this is FIFA carries so much weight. Number one, just on this discussion about grass fields, these play these games will be on grass fields. So MedLife Stadium, AT&T Stadium, and SoFi will all put in grass fields, which is good for the soccer players, but are their players, the ones they pay $200 million payrolls, the ones in the NFL, nah, they play on turf. Something to note that FIFA has a powerful message if you want a FIFA game, you do grass. They'll do grass. Yeah. NFL players, nah. But FIFA players, yeah. Soccer, yeah. The other part of that is FIFA is so powerful, they have to take their sponsor's name off the stadium for that period of time. So the winner of the sweepstakes to hold the final of the World Cup is not MetLife Stadium. It's New York, New Jersey Stadium. And games are going to be played at L.A. Stadium and Philadelphia Stadium and Dallas Stadium. Like, that's where we're going with this. They can't be called sponsor because they're not FIFA sponsor. Which makes me wonder, is that in their contracts? When AT&T signs, do they know that if the stadium gets the FIFA games, they're out? I just wonder about that as a lawyer. What's What's the magic behind that? How is that treated? I really like to figure out how that works. And does FIFA have an opportunity to buy a sponsorship? Sponsors, their sponsors have to have an opportunity to buy a sponsorship for that month of 2026 or six weeks or however long the World Cup is. Brings up a lot of questions in my mind. But FIFA can dictate, number one, grass fields, even though the NFL players don't play on those. And number two, lose your name. Stadium, no more MetLife, no more AT&T, no more SoFi. Because you're not FIFA sponsors. You're out. Interesting. Okay, let's back to the NFL and the outshoot of the game. A couple legacies here. Pat Mahomes, I mean, everyone's going to talk about him. He's the, the number one topic besides Taylor and Travis, I guess. The legend grows, of course, played well when he needed to. Kind of a microcosm of the whole Chiefs season, as he said in the interview. I really thought that was really accurate. They were a team that did just enough to win. They're not a dominant team. They were not even a good team in the regular season. They lost the Broncos. They lost the Raiders. 
they they lost to the Packers. They lost to the Eagles. This was not a good team. But they turned it on when they did it too. They showed the cliche value of having been there before. They played well when they needed to play well. And I picked them in this game because I thought the 49ers have not played well lately. And they probably played better than they did against the Packers and Lions in the playoffs and still lost. Okay? So again, to repeat, I thought the 49ers played better against the Chiefs than they played against the Packers and Lions. They won those games. They lost to the Chiefs. So again, this is kind of a kind of the way the Chiefs handle business. They win. They do what they need to do. And of course, when it goes to overtime and the 49ers only get three points, you're everyone, everyone listening is thinking, yeah, okay, they lost. Right? Because Mahomes is going to lead them down. No, they're not going to be long passes. It's just going to be dink and dunk and hit a couple bigger ones, not big ones, bigger ones, a couple rushes. And I even thought, and Mahomes will run a couple himself, as he always does in these game-winning drives. So his legend grows. I'm not big on comparing him to greats until he's done, you know? Yeah, compare him to whoever you want, but not now. What is he, 25, 26, 27? Yeah, wait. On the money, I've talked about it ad infinitum about Mahomes' money. He was incredibly underpaid the first three years. The the Chiefs did address it this year, next year, the year after, the year after. So for these four years, at least for the moment, he's top of the pyramid. That's great. But they didn't address years after that because this contract is unfathomably long. I think it was a 12-year deal overall. So first three years, massively underpaid. These four years, well paid. The four years after that, massively underpaid again by the time we get there. So I hope the Chiefs correct that going forward. Again, this is the most misunderstood contract in the NFL because whatever reason, the agent, kind of like the Otani agent, just get that huge number out there as they did, $500 million for Pat Mahomes. That's not a real deal. I mean, if he's there 12 years, yeah, I guess, and gets all the incentives. But that's just one of those, you know, agent throws the number out and it just sticks to media forever. In terms of Mahomes moving, running around on the cap, great. You know, every big quarterback does that. I just hope he doesn't sacrifice any cash for his sake, just because it's not only him, it's every quarterback under him because he's at the top. And of course, if he's not getting top paid, everyone's going to say to their player, I can't pay you that because Chiefs don't pay Mahomes that. So just showing you what a domino effect it is if he's not addressed like he was. So good on the Chiefs, as I've talked about, for addressing him for these four years. But the three years before, he's massively underpaid. And unless they do something later, massively underpaid again. All right. The other guy, Purdy, last pick in the draft. The real inequity about Purdy is not that he was making less than a million this year while Lamar Jackson was eight, making 80 and other players are making 40, 50 million. I get it. That's catnip to the media. It's all over with the memes. But that's not even the biggest inequity to Purdy making that money. The biggest inequity to Purdy making that money is this. He's making that again next year. Not 2022, not 2023, but in 2024, Brock Purdy will make less than a million dollars while other quarterbacks are making 50 times that. 
whatever you think of Brock Purdy, if you think he's not an elite quarterback or near elite quarterback, he is the most underpaid player in the league. Has been last year, taking him to a championship game. This year, taking him to a Super Bowl. And whatever happens next year. The reason for this is not the Chiefs. And it's not it's not Purdy's agent. It's the NFL and the NFLPA. Their CBA agreed that if you're drafted, and he was the last draft pick, you can't redo a contract for three years. You've got to play three years before a renegotiated contract. That means Brock Purdy is starter for the 49ers in year one and year two and year three before they can address his contract. The 49ers and owner Jed York and general manager John Lynch could drastically want to get something done now. And the agent for Purdy could drastically want to get something done now. They just can't. They can't. It's the CBA. So if you want to ascribe blame that Brock Purdy is so underpaid this next year as he was last year, as he was the year before, blame the NFLPA. Yeah. Not his agent. It's not the, it's not the 49ers. They gave this along with all the other stuff, the 17th game, everything else, to the league. So you never have to worry about redoing a contract in the first three years of the contract. That's fine if you have a player that sort of develops and by his third year he's ready to assume a new role and get get an extension. But for someone who starts out of the box, I know it was extremely unbelievable circumstances with the 49ers mortgaging their future for Trey Lance and then this guy ascends ahead of Trey Lance, who's sold for a fourth-round pick. It's amazing. Brock Purdy, most underpaid player in the NFL in 2022, most underpaid player in the NFL in 2023, and no matter what he wants to do or the 49ers want to do, thanks to the CBA, the most underpaid player in the NFL in 2024. Okay, the other legacy, of course, is Reed. Uh, he's going... He's rising up the charts. He's one of the greatest coaches ever. Got to know Andy Reid a long time. Quick quick note on the story. I've told it before. I represented Matt Hasselbeck in 1998. Wasn't invited to the Combine, so we organized a one-day workout. Boston College, invite every coach in the league. One person shows up. Uh, RSVP, he's showing up. He's a quarterback coach of the Packers named Andy Reid. I say, great, I'll pick you up at Logan Airport. We'll go to the workout. He says, great. I go to Logan Airport in my little sports car. I've never seen Andy Reid. He comes out. There's no security at that point. And he looks at me. I look at him and we laugh. I jack back the seat. I stuff him into this sports car like a jack-in-the-box. We go over to BC. He loves Matt. He works him out. He says, I got Matt third in the draft and quarterbacks. Peyton Manning, Ryan Leaf, and then Matt Hasselbeck. We're like, great. I say to Matt, if you are picked, it's going to be the Green Bay Packers because of Andy Reid. Sure enough, sixth round, Matt Hasselbeck picked. That year he was on practice squad behind Brett Favre, Doug Peterson, Rick Meyer. And guess what? A lot of teams coming after Hasselbeck. And every time Andy would say, just, just, Please let him stay with me. Let me tutor him and let him learn behind Brett. And each time we said it, we agreed. Matt stayed. He turned down the opportunities to, to be a, maybe even compete for a starting job somewhere else. And then, of course, 
Andy left for Philadelphia. Mike Holmgren left for Seattle. And I left Matt's agent to be Matt's colleague at Green Bay in 1999. Max, Matt was there two more years. And then, of course, we traded him. I was the one who told him that he was being traded. But he was traded to Holmgren at Seattle because Andy Reid vouched for him so much. Andy Reid is in good part responsible for the great success of Matt Hasselbeck who had a 20-year career, in part great uh, for my success because, uh, of course, we had great dealings with the Packers who then offered me a job a year later. Uh, can't say enough about Andy Reid and his wife Tammy and what they've been through with their kids and how they uh, are so popular everywhere you go. In Green Bay, in Philadelphia, everyone talks the world of that family. Okay, last thing from College News. I didn't get to this last week. Dartmouth men's basketball is allowed by the NLRB offices in Boston, the local office, to unionize. What does this mean? This means that the Dartmouth men's basketball team challenged this. Now, they're not scholarship. It seems like an unlikely group to challenge the unionization, but the test is control. Is there control from the university over these players? And like players playing in D1, D2, Ivy League, Big Ten, SEC, there was control. They are limited in terms of what classes to take, what times those classes are, what to wear on the road, how to dress, where to get treatment, when to get treatment, when to practice when to do study hall, all of the above. And the regional director of the National Labor Relations Board in Boston said, you're right, you can unionize. Now, what does that mean? That means that there will be an election where the Dartmouth men's basketball team will vote, yes or no, to unionize. Now, it's a long way from there because, and then you have Dartmouth appealing and they will appeal to the National Labor Relations Board. So a carbon copy of this happened in 2014. Northwestern was granted the right to vote for unionization by the local regional director in Chicago. They did that vote. We still don't know the results. It was sealed. It was given to the national. It was repealed by Northwestern to the National Labor Relations Board, and that and National NRB punted. They basically said no. Uh, we can't do this because. You know, there's private institutions like Northwestern in the Big Ten, and then there's public institutions. How do we do this? They basically said no because they didn't want to deal with it. Difference here is a couple things with Dartmouth. Number one, they're all private institutions in the Ivy. And number two, there's a completely different climate around uh, players being employees, as stated by the Biden general counsel, Jennifer Bruzzo. So we'll see where this goes. Dartmouth, of course, will appeal. This will take a while. Meanwhile, there'll be a vote. They'll do the vote whether or not the NLRB agrees with the local office or not. And we'll see where this goes. Of course, there's a lot to go through on this. What does unionization mean? It basically means employees. And then you could have something like a salary cap where you could negotiate for a cap. You could have employee rights such as health benefits and, of course, minimum salaries. But there is a care-for-what-you-wish-for aspect to this where you're wondering, okay, what does this mean? Yes, you have to pay taxes as an employee. Yes, you could get fired 
You could be threatened with a pay cut or be fired. All these things could happen as an employee. So we're not really sure where this is going to go, but I'm just pointing out there is a other side to this as we face unionization. In the meantime, there's a case in Philadelphia, whether uh, these players are employees again, that's the Fair Labor Standards case. Uh, there's cases in California about the same issue, USC, whether they are unionized employees and can unionize. And then, of course, there are the NIL lawsuits about back pay for NIL or about no NIL restrictions, the one brought by Tennessee and Virginia. NCA is under fire in so many ways. They've thrown a Hail Mary to Congress. I don't think that's going to happen. We'll see where it goes. Okay, lots more in college sports to come and on pro sports. Listen, the NFL offseason is upon us. It's seven-month grind. Stay with me. Stay with me. I'll take you through it. I'll get you through all the misinformation out there about contracts and cap, and we'll do it together. So much to come here on the Business of Sports. I hope you think it's a unique pod. I hope it's something you share with people, and I hope you give us good ratings. Also, my newsletter, andrew-brandt.com, every Sunday, all kinds of insights. Twitter, Andrew Brandt. Instagram, where I'm doing reels at Andrew Brandt, too. And of course, this is the podcast where I hope to provide you a neat, unique and differentiated content every single week. We're produced by Jack Connell. We're sponsored by DraftKings. The musical producer, my son, Sam Brandt. Follow him at Boy Blue Tunes on Spotify. Have a great week, everybody. Enjoy it. The post-Super Bowl hangover, don't worry about it. We'll get you through it. I'll be back next week with another edition of The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt.